Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. 3-2. Got him. See you later. Big win for the Sox, who are still alive for the two-seed. Thanks to Jason Benetti, NBC Sports Chicago. Sox beat Detroit. You know, welcome in, welcome back. Saturday suckage. Steve Rosenblum, Mark Grody with you. And the best thing was, because there was some fear, there was some worry. Tim Anderson suspended. We're going to do this and Abreu. And like, oh my God, don't do anything stupid on the last weekend. So one of the three days, one of the three games, nothing stupid happened except we saw Tim Anderson looked like that guy who's going to make everything go, and Jose Abreu doing what Jose Abreu does, 30 and 100, and doing it against the Tigers, and that's how you get your revenge. But nobody did anything suspendable that I could see. So, Mark, you know what? That was that was the victory. Whether it means home field or not, that was the victory. Nobody's getting suspended based on that. And there was a 4-for-4 four four victory last night for Tim Anderson. So... That was a mini victory, too. It's all about mini victories until the postseason. That's it. We're going to go to the Scores Hotline, presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Welcome back to the show, Jim Margallis of the Sox Machine. Jim, thank you for joining us today. So nobody got suspended. Thanks for having me. If nobody got suspended, that's great. That's That was number one on my list. What did you need from that game? What did you need? Uh, in, in What were your priorities coming out of that game? Well, I think one was, you know, avoiding the stupid stuff, avoiding, you know, suspensions, injuries, what have you. So there's that. Uh, Lance Lynn acing his last test of the season, looking like he's fine. I mean, he always looks vaguely uncomfortable during his starts, muttering to himself and looking around and uh, like searching for a better form. But I think that's kind of status quo for him, just getting used to watching him over the course of the season. He never looks comfortable, and that might be a secret to his success for all you know. So, he seems more or less fine. I think, uh, you know, having, you know, Ryan Tapera come back, I think he still needs one more outing to get his slider back, but at least he was pitching. So that's good. I think the only loose end for me is wondering if Adam Engel is capable of playing on demand. Like we haven't seen him really play consecutive games. He's always had this or, or the season, like he's been plagued with this, kind of what I call vague leg. Just it's a case where, you know, it's, he's sore. He's there's a strain. You never quite know. And so when the postseason comes around, like ideally he would be the number one option in right field, but it just doesn't seem like he's capable of answering the call every game. So that's one thing I'd like to know, I guess, before the end of the season, but every, everything else looks, seems like uh, 
you know, we've been wanting them to flip the switch and hit their stride, and it seems like they're doing that. Yep, five straight wins. And, Jim, let's just assume the White Sox do open up in Houston, which, you know, is the, the high probability. Steve and I were talking about how you line up the starting rotation. How would you line it up? I think as long as, you know, the the, the status quo for the pitchers whose, uh, you know, conditions have been less than certain, like Lance Lynn, he's okay to take the ball every fifth day. And then Carlos Rodon is the Carlos Rodon we saw the last time out, like no better and no worse. I think I would go with Lucas Giolito starting game one just because I feel more confident about him being able to appear either on irregular rest, which Lynn hasn't done this month, or a short notice. Like if he has to pitch on short rest, I feel like he's more comfortable to do that in an emergency situation. Uh, whereas Lance Lynn, if he started game two with the way the off days are arranged, he would still be able to start game five on regular rest. Mm-hmm. So with G Lito in game one and Lynn in game two, you have uh, two pitchers who are theoretically available to make two starts if needed. Then with game three, I would go with Dylan Cease uh, just because I think he's earned it. Uh, you know, and you know, the White Sox have to be aware that he might have that inning where things go wrong. So to have help ready on standby. And then I think game four, uh, as long as Rodon is healthy or healthy enough, given that he, you know, even in this diminished state he's been in where we keep waiting for the uh, uh, bottom to fall out, like out of these six starts where he's been compromised, only one of them he's really been forced out of the game by the other team. The others he's just either been on the pitch count limits or left because the White Sox are being careful. He hasn't really been punished. So I think I would start with him at least one time through, and then be ready to go to Michael Kopech or Reynaldo Lopez, depending on who's fresher, uh, you know, what the game status is, and uh, go from there. Our guest is Jim Margalis of Sox Machine. We're talking White Sox baseball here on The Score. So, Mark, was, Mark why don't you share your, your fears, your anxiety, your Carlos Rodonness about that? Because at some point, that becomes a big, that will be a, a storyline or the fear will be, I don't know if it'll be, if, if it will be realized, but share with Jim and see what Jim has to say. About yeah, that. Jim, I feel like Carlos Rodon on the fly has suddenly lost his superpowers. You know what I mean? Like he has gone from being, you know, throwing 98 and doing wipeout slider stuff and all of his, his terrific pitches. And, and now he has been normalized and the idea that, okay, well, he, he showed he, he, he can be a, a pitcher. He's always been a pitcher and a really good pitcher with with 98 and above. I just think it it, mm-hmm. it sounds awful right now where Carlos Rodon is, and that's that's where I am with him. Yeah, there's a little bit of dabda going on. It seems uh, mourning uh, the passing of like you know, Rodon at peak powers. Um, you know, with the <laughs> you know, two starts ago when he had that Zoom call he cut off, I think that was your denial and anger. Mm-hmm. And Larusa sounded like he was all the way ahead to um, just depression. <laughs> so I think they've sure. met in the middle at bargaining. To where, you know, they've been trying to get him through the regular season. One more start in September that wasn't supposed to be necessarily on the docket. They, they put that on, and he was more or less fine. It's, it's a big question, and uh, that's why I'm surprised that, you know, he's had an array of starts against, like, teams like the Blue Jays and the Red Sox, who have good offenses, and then the Pirates, and, uh, you know, who aren't good, and, and the Tigers, and, 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 and so forth. So you have, like, a, a mix of opponents, good and bad, and he's more or less looked like the same guy and getting the same results. So I can buy the idea that he's not, you know, he's that, that peak Rodon is not coming back, but the Rodon in his wake 
is better than the guy we've seen before. Like the command is better. Uh, the fastball life is better. And, you know, the, the, the slider I, I think is really the, the big pitch for me. Cause you know, before we knew that Rodon could throw 98 for at least half a season, uh, the guy they brought back on the one-year deal who was going to fill up the fifth spot, I thought he was going to be like a slider first pitcher, like somebody who had to pitch backwards, could junk his way through five innings, and maybe you know find that fastball later on. Uh, the, the, the Rodon we saw the last time out, he had that sharper slider. He was able to bury it in, you know, down and into righties. He was able to fade it away to lefties. It was a good pitch. Like the, the guy who made that start against uh, Detroit, that was so worrisome. That was... Uh, a get me over uh, nothing pitch. So I think that's really the uh, difference maker to me is like, you still be fastball first, but in order to you know, survive against a team like the Astros, he really needs that slider to have some bite, some uh, ability to backdoor it, but also throw it on the, you know, the glove side uh, of the plates and work at both sides, have it as a get me over, have it as a uh, strike grabber, then have it as a put it away pitch. That pitch he had the last time out, so that's why I'm a little bit more comfortable. But I, I think the good news is we've seen what Rodon looks like at its worst. That was the Detroit start where he came out throwing you know, low 90s, got to 96, but then was throwing high 80s. So I think uh, as long as they have Michael Kopech ready to go, ready to back him up uh, if uh, flags go off, I think they're more or less fine. I think I'm more comfortable with Rodon in his diminished state than Giolito on short rest but have Giolito available if they need him, just because um, there is that risk in starting him. I would just have El Duque ready, because that's <laughs> the way you're talking, Jim. That's We're going to come <laughs> up against that situation. But as long as we're talking about Kopech, and maybe he does, just doesn't need to show up until game three, and then he's on call for every game after that, who do you trust in the bullpen, and who, do you don't, who don't you trust? And what do you think Tony La Russa... What will be? How will you judge what he's going to do? How do you how do you, will you predict what he's going to do? Well, uh, working backwards, I guess you know Hendricks seems like he's bulletproof right now. He's in the form that you know he wasn't early in the season, but I think he's gained everybody's trust. Bummer looks like he's in his good form. Tapero looked like the best righty behind Hendricks. That's why I want to see him one more outing to see if uh, the, the, the iffy slider he had on Friday was more a matter of rust. But if he's back to where he was, you know, I, I trust him just fine. Crochet is good as a uh, second lefty. Kopech, I think you have to save him for covering the middle innings if possible, given that he has three innings, uh, the, the potential to cover three innings in a dominant fashion. If you can, you know, I think you save him for middle innings in a game that's still close. Like, say, if you get what you can out of Rodon or Cease throws 75 pitches over three. That's, I think, when you go to Kopech for those three innings and see what you have. I think Lopez is close. Um, but we've just – I think Lopez is still a little bit too familiar to us to, to really trust him the way that, you know, Kopech <laughs> seems trustworthy. Yeah, that's no – uh, you know, Lopez has done everything he can possible this year to to improve his reputation. So it's not a mar- yeah, not, not a knock on him. It's just more a matter of just, you know, I, I think you know, the way I evaluate pitching decisions is if you look backwards and say like, well, you know, we we lost with Giolito and Lynn starting games one and two and then season game three. If they get swept somehow, you say like, well, we couldn't have done anything different with the pitchers. But I think like if you go to Lopez in the middle innings when Kopech's available, you kick yourself saying, well, we should have trusted Kopech or we should have gone to him. Whereas if Kopech blows game where Lopez is available, you say, well, Kopech is the guy we're banking on in the future. We learned something from that. So that's kind of how I assess decision-making. 
the one guy I just don't know about when it comes to how we would look at it viewing backwards is Craig Kimbrell. Mm-hmm. That's the big question mark to me. That's I'm hoping he gets at least one more game in this final series, hopefully in like a close situation, just to better understand what he is, because I can see the argument both ways. Like I can see the argument that you don't want him pitching anything resembling high leverage because he's made a mess of some. And he, you know, when that knuckle curve is just in the left-handed batter's box, there's no, you know, there's nothing dangerous about him. Like he just creates his own trouble. He generates extra bases on pass balls and wild pitches just because of how hard to catch he is. And it's a recipe for disaster. But then he has a you know clean one two three, striking out the side on thirteen pitches, where you see like oh that's why they traded Nick Madrigal for him. So I really don't know, and I think that's you know that's I think maybe the one decision in this whole you know five game series or three however long the series lasts, where Larusa will be tasked with being Tony Larusa, Hall of Famer baseball person, with trying to figure <laughs> out what exactly to do with Craig Kimbrell. I think. That's uh, that's the one where they just have to trust his you know wealth of experience, his uh, yeah, just over his thirty something years of managing, like he's had situations like this before. So call on that bank of resources to understand what you have here, what he can do, and what he can't do. And I, I think the to me, if they somehow steer away from Kimbrel and they you know and, and it doesn't work out, like they go to Tapera or they go to Bummer or they go to Hendricks early, whatever, what have you, doesn't work out. I think that will reflect uh, a fair amount of courage on his part. Cause I think the simple thing would be the reflexive managing would be to go to Kimbrel in the eighth inning, no matter what. Right. And if you lose them, you lose with them. But I think if he somehow avoids him and it doesn't work out, I think that'll at least, that'll be defensible. That'll be a case where just like what they saw, you know, they can't necessarily trust. And I think that would take some, uh, some fortitude in his part to avoid the, uh, I guess, decision that's been dictated by the, historical credibility in the salary he's making and the acquisition cost of getting him ton of variables here with white Sox astros and we're we're you're laying some of them out right now but how do you feel jim about white Sox astros do the Sox have any kind of an edge that you can find well, the Astros pitching staff is a little bit, uh, you know, murky in the rotation. I think their bullpen is fine. I, I, I think the one strength that Houston has that the White Sox have to be uh, cognizant of is they get a lot of ground balls. And the White Sox hit a lot of ground balls, even against pitchers who don't necessarily specialize in ground balls. Like when Abreu is off, he's pulling the ball into the left side. When uh, Jimenez is off, he's doing the same thing. And there are just a lot of double plays. There's a lot of, you know, if like Grandal draws a walk and then Jimenez hits a ground ball behind him, that does no good. So I think that's how we've seen the White Sox offense flatline is just this tendency to pull balls in the ground. I think Tim Anderson, the same thing, just he'll hit grounders to the left side and just doesn't help. So that's, I think, the one thing I'm most worried about when it comes to this offense. Um, but however, the, given what we've seen from them recently, their ability to string together rallies, their ability to come back from a double play and start anew with, you know, more rallies and, and, and get more runners in scoring position and rack up pitch counts and Gavin Sheets coming along and, and providing that left-handed bats and solution to at least half of the DH spots with good at bats. Uh, that's, I think, what you want to see late in the season. So I think, you know, it, it should be, you know, we saw what the White Sox did early on against Houston. It wasn't good. And I think with, uh, you know, Robert back, Jimenez back, 
with the pitching staff pretty much fully healthy, uh, I think you can more or less throw that first series out. Uh, the thing on the other hand is that the White Sox didn't see Alex Bregman. They didn't see this version of Kyle Tucker. So the Astros have some new guys who the White Sox haven't seen in their current form. So I think, to me, I would go in with feeling like it's 50-50. Like there, there's no, you know, there's a reason to fear the Astros just because they have the historical, you know, recent track record of success the White Sox don't have. But overall, just I think they're two good teams, two well-built teams, two deep offensive teams. I think the Astros work counts a little bit better than the White Sox do. I think the the White Sox, some of their success is built on first pitch ambushing, which can work out or can lead to short innings. So it's a, uh, you know, a little bit of a risk reward uh, proposition there for the White Sox, but yeah, it should be a, a well-balanced matchup. And I, I don't think there's, for as many reasons as the White Sox have to fear the Astros, I think the Astros have some reason to be nervous about how they look and how the White Sox look. And so you have to keep that in mind as well. Our guest is Jim Margallis, Sox Machine. We're talking White Sox baseball. They're going to face Houston. We're just not sure where games one through five will be. So let me ask you my last question for you, Jim. DEFCON 5, meaning, oh, everything's all good vibes, to DEFCON 1, meaning red terror level. Where are you on the White Sox level of defense for the postseason? Hmm. Like you mean, like just overall, or the actual defense? <laughs> well, the the your confidence. Where is your confidence okay. level? Defcon yeah. Sounds like he's being... about fifty-fifty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would say like I would say I'm a four. Like I think they look as you know more or less as good as this team can look in September. Like er, uh, entering the season, uh, I thought that the depth was going to be the biggest issue. And we did see that offensively. Like they had to bank on a lot of randos like Jake Lamb and Billy Hamilton having a great two weeks here and there. And your mean Mercedes starting the year off hot. You know, they, they, they were able to get like productive play out of Jake Berger <laughs> and all these uh-huh. guys. You did not expect to them to con- you know, contribute to the uh, success of the offense um, did. And they got by with a lot of luck and a lot of good timing and if they got into September with that, you know, needing their fingers crossed for their offense, I would, I think I would be up to a one or two, just feeling like this is a fluke, a weak division, and they're going to get knocked out immediately. But with Robert back and looking like a world beater, with Jimenez back and getting stronger, with Abreu seeming like he's getting on track, Anderson looking fine, Moncada looking fine, like I think this offense looks as good as it can. Uh, the pitching staff, you know, more or less, you know, Lynn is a little bit iffy, but he looks good you know he looks as good as he can Rodon is the only one who doesn't look like necessarily he should but then you know, if you go back to what they thought they were getting in April I think he looks like yeah. the guy they thought they were getting in April five innings of decent ball so based on what the White Sox built I think this team got to the finish line in as good a shape as they could and I think the uh, you know keeping that in mind I think that's why I feel like generally confident in, in what this team can do. I, I don't think, you know, I think they have some weaknesses that can be exploited to where it's a quick exit, like the ground balls, just, you know, hitting, uh, you know, ground or left side, left side, left side, double play, double play, double play. And all of a sudden, you know, just, you, you, it feels lifeless and, you know, it's a short series. I can see that happening, but if so, that just feels like overly pessimistic to me. Like it, it's good to understand how it can fail just, you know, to, to have that in mind, but what the White Sox have shown this last week with everybody healthy, with 
uh, you know, balls flying out of the park with uh, you know, defense more or less you know, shoring up at, at key positions. I think this is the team you want to see. And so for me, that just means that like, there's no special reason to worry. And that's good enough for me. And I think, and I'll, I'll wrap it up by saying this for both of you guys, the White Sox are equipped to win the World Series. There, there are other th- teams that are equipped to win the World Series, but the White Sox have everything that a team needs to go all the way. I agree with that. That's a good way to put it. And just, you know, baseball happens to be a zero-sum game where <laughs> one team has to lose, but it's a, you know, it's a good team. Yes. And it's, it's not necessarily, you know, they, they benefited from weak division, but at the end, like, I think this team looks like the team that projected to get into the postseason. So there yes. you go. Yep. Jim, we appreciate your time. Thanks for the great insight. Always good having you on the air. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, I, I always appreciate the invitation. All Thanks, right. Jim. That's Jim Margalis of Sox Machine. And uh, he and Josh Nelson are regular visitors here, and we learned stuff from them. That was, that was terrific. Yeah, it was. Um, we will go from a team that has high hopes and great things to look forward to to the Bears. We'll, we'll delve, we'll do our swan dive, our full gainer into the toilet, and we'll do the next segment of what Mark heard. Yes. And that will be... That will probably define Saturday suckage as well as anything. You else. are going to hear the Justin Fields had a very exuberant response to something yesterday. I thought it was really oh. interesting. He kind of stepped out of character a little bit. Oh. Also, Akeem Hicks, there's a a question that he didn't want to answer that we will get to as well, and we will hear about Andy Dalton and what he appreciates about Matt Nagy. That and oh oh, and Olin Krutz as well. Oh, boy. As long as he's not going to try to squeeze my head like a zit, I'm all for Olin Krutz. He might. All right. It's Mark Grody. I'm Steve Rosenblum. Saturday Suckage, we suck so you don't have to, and we're trying to help the Bears in that regard, but they just won't let us. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Welcome in. Welcome back. Steve Rosenblum, Mark Grody with you. Saturday Suckage. Coming up at... 1240, we'll talk with Nancy Armour, columnist for USA Today. Talk some bears with Aunt Nancy. Make sure she got out of her nephews. I think it's a soccer game, but Aunt Nancy's doing the ant thing, and then she'll be sports columnist Nancy when she's with us. And right now, we're doing yet another segment of the near award-winning What Mark Heard. So let's go to Mark. Mark, what did you heard? All right, we haven't talked a lot about the defense and some of the things that the bears defenders as in players said this week and I'm going to start with Akeem Hicks and it, the the beginning portion is just a warm-up it is towards the middle and the end that you will want to listen to the Q&A but Hicks begins talking about Matt Nagy is the criticism of him fair criticism of Nagy fair um I mean we read all types of things in social media um you know uh, I think that um there's always a, a strong opinion about, you know, uh, who should be wearing, what somebody should be doing. But um, we have to handle all these things in-house, you know. Um, we acknowledge them and, and we see them, you know, as players. But uh, our focus is to play good football. Getting caught up in that is going to take time away from us that we can't afford. Does it wear on you at all having that same, seeing those same things? And I feel like we're asking the same questions, having the same conversation for like three years now. Um. That's, that's a tough one. 
I don't have an answer. I truly don't have an answer. <laughs> so, wow. yeah, not there you gonna go. That's yeah. an answer. Not having an answer is an answer, right? Yeah, and you know, a couple of the defensive players this week have admitted that they have been tired towards the ends of games, and that's where the defense has giving giving stuff up in the last two weeks. You know, fourth quarter touchdowns, and you know, a, a Kareem Hunt blast last week, and mm-hmm. you know, inevitably. Any defense is going to wear down if they are on the field all day. Now, I don't care how much they're rotating in and out, especially on the defensive line. Dudes are going to get tired, and there has been there. There was nobody has said, "Well, you know, we're giving up touchdowns because we're tired." But they have said that we are tired, so we can all fill in the blanks for them if we'd like. And you just watch. That's all you had to do was watch, and it almost. We've seen this so many times with great Bear defenses and horrible Bears offenses, and eventually the defense is just, despite heroic plays for three quarters, for three and a half quarters, they're just not going to be able to keep it up when the time of possession is the Bears have the ball for 10 of the 60 minutes. I mean, it's just not going to happen. Right. And and that is, that's with a, that's even with a great defense. This defense isn't great but it's a very good defense that needs to be helped by yes. smarter coaching. And there's just, it doesn't, it doesn't exist right now. Of course they're frustrated. And that's Akeem Hicks yeah. taking the high road right there. And again, letting us, allowing to us to do what we're doing right now and inferring from what he, he said. But I want to get on to uh, Justin Fields now. Do you remember Stevie Sunshine earlier this year, the whole Justin Fields being asked about the speed of the game, and he said, oh, well, it's actually slower. It feels a little bit slower. And then he got a bunch of crap from everybody for saying that, like, oh, the game is slow. And and now every time he makes a bad play, it's like, oh, is the game too too fast for you still or too slow for you still? So there was a little bit of that back and forth with Justin Fields yesterday. Take a listen. How was the speed of no, I'm not even gonna comment on that because nah, y'all take it way too out of proportion. So every time I see, every time I throw, it can be plaid. So I get a uh, ad on Instagram talking about. I thought the game, I thought the game speed was too slow. So I'm not even gonna answer that question no more. You realize that's not us. I, I know, but you, y'all gonna put it out there, and then it's gonna be the other people DMing me. And I thought the game speed was too slow, so I'm not even gonna go there on that one. <laughs> what have you, what have you learned about yourself this week uh, after a game? Probably unlike you've ever played in your life. Um, you know, I think, uh, I think you know when you you have a performance like that. I think uh, like times like that, adversity like that. You you need those things in life just to just to kind of just slap you in the face and just tell you to refocus. The the game may not be too fast for for Justin Fields, but he he hasn't. He's got a long way to go, but he, there are things at this level that he hasn't figured out yet. And we talked about some of them in terms of what is open in the NFL. Yeah, I want to. I'm glad we're coming back to that. I got a kick out of it. That, that shows some real savvy. Yeah, like, I'm not answering that. Right. I know where this goes. Uh-huh. It's stupid. It's a no-win situation. Good for you, Justin Fields. You're you're allowed to do that. But let's go to that point of what a receiver looks like, and what what an open receiver looks like in the NFL. That's an adjustment. Yep. But I think the criticism of him holding the ball too long is a lot of crap, and here's why. He was one of the traits that we heard talked about, that we we heard Mitch Trubisky criticized for, is he would go check down to touchdown, 
Justin Fields always goes touchdown to check down. He's going to hold the ball a long time. That's the criticism because he's giving his guys a chance to get open. And he's using his scrambling skills to, to create, to buy some time so they can get open so he can take the deep shots. His coach, his interim coach for now, maybe a play caller, maybe not, has talked about that. They want the chunk plays. They want to take the deep shots. He's talked about how well Justin Fields has adapted to that and taken those and seen that. Don't tell me he's holding the ball too long. If you have stressed to him that you want chunk plays and you want that kind of danger, mm-hmm. you want that kind of dagger thrown at the opponent. Downfield buying, passing. Yeah. I'm not buying that criticism because he's doing what the coach says, what his or his last week's play caller said. And I do I do believe that he's got the mentality to think touchdown to check down, which is what you want. And he's and that's what's going to be part of it. You want to blame him for some of the sacks? Go ahead. I think it's a lot of crap because that's what you want in this offense. You've always wanted chunk plays. I just I'm really tired of that. And I I would have loved to have heard the historically pathetic Matt Nagy say, "I got no problems with everything he did. He was looking deep. We want to go deep. We're taking chunk plays." I want that backed up because you can't stress it the way Nagy did for years and then not be there to support your guy that way. I don't, you know, I don't know if it'll have a lasting effect. I don't know that it'll mean anything, and maybe I'm off base with this, but I just think I'm in favor of Justin Fields. If he takes the sacks, it's largely because he's looking downfield. Maybe a guy, you know, offensive line's not that great. But I really, I get angry when I hear that kind of, well, he holds on the ball too long. That was a criticism coming out of college. And why does he do that? Because he's doing what the Bears want. That's one trait they want to see. Don't you think? Absolutely. I mean, the, Matt Nagy, from the, the day that he walked into House Hall in 2018, he, he stressed over and over and over the importance in this offense of throwing the ball downfield. There is no doubt about it. And I talked about this with you with, with Mitch Trubisky and the conflicted mindset of mm-hmm. getting rid of the ball quickly, finding your playmakers, ejecting the pocket. Am I a running quarterback? Am I a pocket quarterback? What do you want me to be? <laughs> and we want him to be, you know, the, the whole the irony of BU – Maybe Trubisky wasn't allowed to be himself, and perhaps there is that same conflict in the brain of Justin Fields right now. So, and, but I do think that the game plan going in probably last week probably did not have as many downfield throws. It was probably more one one thousand two one to get rid of the football to somebody, and it doesn't have to be downfield. But I just think that there were all sorts of things going on. With, with Justin Fields and the offensive line. And like I said earlier, to where after, let's say, the fifth or sixth sack, it became about survival for Justin Fields. That was what it was. The, the, those defensive ends were in his head thoroughly to the point where he, he couldn't even process who was open and what to do with the football and what to do with his legs because he was just so damn worried about getting knocked down to the turf. Yeah, please, mommy, make it stop. <laughs> so, so that said, <laughs> that said, what will be different against the Detroit Lions tomorrow at Soldier Field? For that, we go to number fifty-seven, Olin Krutz. It just has to, man. It just has to look different. They can't. They cannot do that again. Uh, they cannot put him out. 
Listen, the Detroit Lions, they do not line up with the Cleveland Browns front, right? This is not the dog pound. This is not Miles Garrett. This is not Clowney. This is not Tack McKinley. Uh, this is a better matchup for the Chicago Bears offensive line. You knew going into that game last Sunday, those three DNs, if they got the chance to rush the passer, were going to give the Bears tackles all kinds of problems. I think everybody knew that except for the guys at Hallis Hall who didn't give them any help. So uh, this the Detroit Lions defensive front, not as good. Coach Glenn's unit up there in Detroit giving up 31 points a game. Uh, they don't have the crowd noise. The Bears offensive line looked pretty good against the Rams. Obviously, the interior three matched up better against Aaron Donald. They looked pretty good against the Bengals. Um, you know, obviously, four takeaways helps a lot. But this matchup is not the same. So you, you have some advantages. Peters can handle the Lions' defensive ends. At least you hope he can. If Fetty can handle the Lions' defensive ends. But this, this game has to look different. You have to get him out of pocket. I don't buy Coach Nagy's uh, uh, excuse of they knew what we were trying to do. Look, when Trey Lance comes in the field in San Francisco, people know what they're trying to do. Kyle Shanahan still gets him out of pocket. People know what Lamar Jackson's trying to do. He still runs the ball. Why we haven't seen Justin Fields on design quarterback runs. Why we haven't seen him out of the pocket. Why we haven't seen their best offensive player, David Montgomery, catch more screens out of the backfield like we saw from Kareem Hunt against the Chicago Bears once the Bears defensive line started dominating that game. Oh, look, guys, let's run screens. Well, that's genius. Well, we hope Coach Nagy them. We hope they figure that out and they start to run things that help their offensive line because when you have a unit that you're not paying much money to and you lost your high draft pick to a back injury and you lost another draft pick to an ankle injury, you have guys that, that are replacing them. You need to help them out with screens, more runs, draws, and give Montgomery the ball and try to depend on your defense who are getting Eddie Goldman back this week. It all sounds so simple, doesn't it, Steve? Well, let's see if Nancy Armour of USA Today thinks it's that simple. <laughs> see, let's let's have her comment on okay. that, and we'll see what she expects of the Bears as they prepare to meet the Lions, host the Lions tomorrow. I'm Steve Rosenblum. He's Mark Grody. Saturday Suckage. We'll talk with Nancy Armour of USA Today next. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Go Bears! Uh, Go to Arlington Heights. 1.1 yard at a time. Welcome in, welcome back. Steve Rosenblum, Mark Rohde with you. Saturday suckage, talking Bears, my friends. And now we're going to talk Bears with Nancy Armour of USA Today, fine columnist, fellow trash panda addict. She joins us on the Scores Hotline. It's presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. And Nancy, thank you for joining us between such familial responsibilities. <laughs> Thanks, guys. How are you guys doing? We're doing good. We're doing better than than most people who are Bears fans, I guess. We, I'm just, we're trying to figure out. Market played a cut from Olin Krutz earlier this week that things have to change. What do you expect? Presuming that the worst offense that won't name a play caller or a starting quarterback will start Justin Fields. What do you expect to see different from that? tragedy we saw in Cleveland? Mm, not much <laughs> difference. I mean, and I say that because we've seen this for how many years now? It's it's the same type of thing. You know, the quarterback switch, you know, they might put a different person in, but it's the same kind of, 
you know, lack of imagination except for a couple of gimmicky plays um, and, and trying to jam a person into a system rather than building systems around the person. Um, and, you know, I don't know if the, uh, this offense was – it seems like it was more designed around a Andy Dalton, but you don't have Andy Dalton or you didn't last week. So if you're the coach, it is, it should be incumbent upon you to adapt your game plan rather than expect your athlete to adapt to the game plan. You know, the guys have different sets of skills. You should be taking advantage of that rather than trying to jam a square peg in a round hole. And I feel like Nancy, that Matt Nagy knows that because he talks about that but he doesn't do it when game day rolls around. Why do you think that is? I, I don't know because, you know, clearly, especially when you look at his background, he has he has trained with, he's worked for coaches who can do that. You know, Andy Reid is a perfect example. Yep. So I, I don't know. I don't know if he's so, you know, laser-focused on getting – you know, this offense perfected, you know, this one, this one game plan, but it, it's not, it's not working. And, you know, at some point you, when you've gone through as many quarterbacks as they have just in the last couple of years, we don't even have to go back through the, you know, the 20 years, but when you've gone through these many quarterbacks, at some point you need to look at this and say, you know what, maybe it's me. Maybe it's not these guys that we have. Um, maybe it is what I'm trying to get them to do. Nancy Armour of USA Today is our guest. We're talking Bears football here on the score on Saturday Suckage. And and to your point, Nancy, in talking about from Trubisky to Chase Daniel to Nick Foles to Andy Dalton to Justin Fields, there's a spectrum of quarterbacks, what they can and cannot do, what they represent. And nobody could do this. Nobody can make much of it with Matt Nagy calling plays. The best we saw was when Bill Lazor was calling plays and seemingly calling a different offense because there were running plays involved and an essential and, and, and an essential number of running plays were involved. And now they won't the thirty-first the thirty-second ranked offense this week won't name its play caller, won't name its quarterback, maybe its gamesmanship. Maybe it's it I don't know. Maybe there's still confusion up there. I don't know that we can rule out anything because there's a lot of palm to forehead moments. So how does, what does a victory, let's say they get it right Sunday. What does a victory do? A victory against the bad lions at home do, or do you need to see how that becomes a victory? I I think you need to see how that becomes a victory. Um, You know, I think, if Andy Dalton plays, and it, it sure sounded yesterday as if both Nagy and Dalton want to give him as much time as possible to be ready to play, um, which is fine. You know, if he's your number one quarterback, you should do that. Um, so if they win with him, I, I don't know how much it changes. I think if, if Fields plays and they win, I think that's a really important thing for his confidence. You know, it doesn't seem as if he was really shaken by that game last week. Um, because it wasn't all on him, obviously. Um, but if you have, if you stack a couple of those together, at some point you kill somebody's confidence. Um, and you know, I think we saw that in part with Trubisky. I, you know, I don't think he was ready to start anyway. I don't think he is a number one quarterback. But um, I think that first season and some of the mistakes that were made that first season carried over for him the rest of his time in Chicago. 
Do you think that they ought to just like? Because I've been saying that they the organization needs to just kind of make a decision. Do they do they truly think with what they have, like all the defensive talent and some of the offensive talent? Do they think that they can make a postseason run this year like they did last year with a 500 record? Or should this season be about put Justin Fields in, let him play through the pain, let him play through it, and maybe you come out better on the other end? Which direction would you go at this point with Justin Fields? Uh, that's a great question. And I think one of the things, you know, we've seen the defense rebound um, from where they were last year. But this defense, yes, it is still can be ferocious and, and still be dominant, but it's getting old. And so, you know, your chances of the defense clicking at the same time as your offense clicking with this bunch is probably really slim. So I don't know. Do you, do you quote unquote waste a season with a rookie quarterback just because historically, you know, you've got Patrick Mahomes is an anomaly. Um, do you do that or do you you hope that Andy Dalton can manage it enough to get you into the playoffs? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, and honestly, I think, you know, maybe the front office needs to also or, or is thinking, uh, you know, we can't have a couple of these really crappy seasons if we're trying to build a new stadium or if we want, you know, support for building a new stadium. Um, but the NFL is also a win now game. So, I, you know, clearly I, I don't have a clear answer on what they should be doing. I just think what they're trying to do is not working. Nancy Armour of USA Today is our guest here on The Score, talking Bears football. So Dan, Dan Pompey tweeted out that if Andy Dalton starts ahead of Justin Fields after not having had a full week of practice uh, and not having done it for more than two weeks, it says a lot about what the Bears coaches think about Fields right now, which might be true. It made, to me, it seems to expose that the Bears coaches don't know how to coach the talent in front of them, which has long been my <laughs> criticism. But but my criticism of Matt Nagy, he can't coach the talent in front of him. He can't coach the team in front of him. He can't coach the game in front of him because we've just seen him see, appear to be so lost and so um, so unfazed by what was really going on and what his guys do well. And at the first hint of the Browns having some kind of, some kind of look that they might be able to, to contain Justin Fields, he completely went away from the idea of having him sprint out or roll out or bootleg or run or do mm-hmm. anything that his athletic abilities would, would show you. So I'm not quite sure what the Bears' decision will reveal what will you read into it if Dalton starts I think Dalton is the safe pick um, because like I said I, I think he probably fits or Nagy has built an offense or, or Dalton fits more into what Nagy envisions for the offense and you know I think I, I thought about this a little bit last week there aren't a lot of coaches persons, uh, who can have two completely different quarterbacks or two very different quarterbacks um, Sean Payton is obviously one of them. You know, he's always had guys like uh, Drew Brees um, and, you know, last year, uh, both Brees and, and Jameis Winston, um, you know, the guy that they bring in just uh, short yardage. Uh, uh, Tyson Hill. Um, yeah. I, I, there are not a lot of, of coaches who I think have the, like the mental dexterity to create game plans that take advantage of, of 
that variety of skill sets. Um, and I think we saw that with, with Maggie last week. He went, you know, as soon as there was a hint of trouble, he went back to the old game plan. And that's not, that, that's not taking advantage of the spectacular talent that, that Fields is. And I'm not just talking about what he can do, you know, in terms of the, the, the rollouts and the bootlegs and stuff like that. I think Fields has a really good field vision. I think he can see things that develop down the field. You know, we've seen that. We saw it in some of the exhibition games. And they didn't do anything that, that allowed him to do that. Um, part of it is because their offensive line, I think, is so bad. But, um, you know, if if you were drafting, and supposedly, you know, you would hope that Nagy was on board with drafting Fields, you needed to come up with or be comfortable with having the possibility of having two you know, whether it's completely separate or significantly different game plans. Nancy, appreciate your time. We know you got to go. Thanks, Aunt Nancy, for joining us, fitting us in between familial duties. We always appreciate that. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. All right, Nancy Armour, USA Today. Always like talking with her. Uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, uh, sometime in the next hour, we'll do What Are You Doing, Wagner? A whole lot of signs showed up and other interesting things. But we still have... What Mark heard, we didn't really, we didn't really get to the whole. We need to discuss the Olin Krutz discussion. We need to discuss what he thought, his criticism, Mark, and also, I think Bill Lazor indicted Matt Nagy, mm. and I and I'll give you the reasons why based on what he said. Okay. And so we'll discuss that. Tell you what we'll do. We'll uh, we'll replay the Olin Crutes when we yes. come back. And and then I have one more cut after that too from Andy Dalton if we get to, if we have time to get. Oh, to we it. got all the yeah. time in the world. Yes, we, we do. We got a full we got show an today. Hour. Yeah, we got an hour today. So an hour to go. So two hours of Saturday suckage down. One to go. Thank you for thank you for letting us suck so you don't have to. It's our pleasure. It's our duty. It makes us great Americans. Steve Rosenblum, Mark Rohde, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, oh, oh. 
Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.